I'm John Carter in Moscow, in Havana, Cuba. Now in Kiev, the capital of Ukraine. I'm John Carter in Petra, right here in communist China, reporting from India. Hi, I'm John Carter in the Solomon Islands. I'm John Carter in Soweto, from El Salvador. I'm John Carter in Sydney, Australia. Join us with questions and answers with Pastor John Carter. Hello, friend. Welcome today to the Carter Report. I'm John Carter, and today we're going to answer your Bible questions, not your political questions. <laughs> now, a few weeks ago in our studio, I asked folks, have some questions? Write them down on these cards. And we got so many questions and so many cards. And then we have questions that are sent in from people who watch the telecast. If you've got a, a good question, oh, it doesn't matter what it is, if you've got a question from the Bible, not about politics, uh, write to me, John Carter, Post Office Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. In Australia, write to me at the address on the screen, at the address in Terrigal, New South Wales. And so today is a Q&A, and these are questions that you have sent to me, written down on those pieces of card, on those bits of paper, those cards. Here's the first one that I picked up from the list. What does it mean that God will punish to the fourth generation? See Numbers 14... 18. Now, we're going to put up these questions on the screen, but if the question is pretty long, we're only going to put up the first part of the question. So why don't you, why don't you come over here with me to Numbers chapter 14 and uh, verse 18, dear hearts and uh, gentle people. I'm going to give, give it to you today out of the Holy Scriptures. Numbers 14, 18, the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. This is the gospel. God is loving. God is merciful. God forgives the sins of his people when they confess those sins. But he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. What does it mean? Sort of an awful text, isn't it? God's going to forgive your sins, but he's going to visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generation. What does it mean? By, listen to this. By inheritance and example the sins of the parents are passed on to the children. Except by the grace of God, except if there is a divine uh, inter uh, intervention. Uh, let me give you some examples. A mother who was on drugs. I was talking to a grandmother the other day, and her daughter, she tells me, is the most beautiful looking girl and she's had a little boy and he's now nine years of age and for years and years and years 
she's been sleeping around and she's on hard drugs. Her grandmother told me, she said, we're trying to bring up the little boy. And the mother comes back regularly with another boyfriend. And, and she's so beautiful, but she's on hardcore drugs. Now, except by the grace of God and the intervention of the grandmother and the grandfather, what chance has that little boy got? If you leave that little boy to his parents, who seem to have absolutely no sense of responsibility at all. Well, that's by example. Uh, then, of course, you've got HIV. That this can, if there's no intervention with, with uh, drugs, uh, when the mo mother gives birth, the little baby can be born with it if there's no prior treatment with drugs. Listen to this. Children with parents, and parents ought to listen up to this because it's not just your life. Parents who lie, cheat, and steal, listen to this, it is likely that your children are going to be the same as you. People who lie and cheat, full of fraud and deceit, the Bible says to the third and the fourth generation, it's passed on from generation to generation. There are whole nations that are like this. You know what I'm talking about. Whole nations, year after year. Crime, crime, and it gets worse and worse. Unless there is a divine intervention that breaks the course of sin. And that is why I believe that the only solution to the problem of crime and sin is not social work or political activity. So that's why in the Carter Report, I, I'm, I'm not afraid to tell you this, I'm not a Republican and I'm not a Democrat. I'm an independent for Jesus. You see? I belong to one party. I belong to Jesus' party. Now that may offend some of you. So be it. The only solution is the gospel of Christ. Question number two. And we put up the summary on the screen. When you die, where do you go? What happens? Do I see my mum and dad when I die? Or am I sleeping until the day of judgment when Christ returns? I want you to take your Bible, please, because we base everything here upon the Word of God. We're going to turn to John chapter 11 and verse 11 and 13. John chapter 11 and verse 11. Uh, this is talking about Jesus and the death of one of his friends. These things he said, Jesus said, and after that, he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go, I'm going to go there that I may wake him up. And verse 13, however, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Verse 14, then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Some people say to me, where did you get this idea that when a person dies, he falls asleep? I got it from Jesus. Jesus said, Lazarus is sleeping. And then Jesus said, Lazarus is dead. I know this goes against conventional uh, theology, but I don't really care. Look at verses 23 to 24. Jesus is talking to the dead man's family. 
uh, verse 23, uh, John chapter 11, 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And then if you look at verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Now the Bible tells me that Jesus, the son of God, came to the tomb of Lazarus. He said, roll away the stone. They said, don't do it. He's been dead for four days. His body is already decaying. There's a stench. Bible is pretty plain in how it talks. And Jesus goes to the tomb and he cries. The Bible says with a loud voice, he says, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible tells me in the same chapter, you can read it with your own eyes. This dead man who'd been dead for four days, hears the voice of the son of God and he walks out of the tomb. He has a resurrection. I want you to notice this. I was listening to a famous television preacher on a famous television station here in the United States of America. He said, what a story Lazarus must have told the people. He must have told them about the glories of meeting Jesus in, or meeting the Father in heaven and meeting the angels and all the crystal palaces. He told them a tremendous story about heaven. No, that's not true. That's nonsense. Lazarus was not called down from heaven and he wasn't called up from hell. And he didn't come out of a place called purgatory because there's no such place to come out of. He was in the tomb and the Bible tells me he was sleeping. And when Jesus comes back, he is going to raise from the dead those who believe in him. This is the word of the Lord. Come over here to 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 51 and 52. Dear hearts and gentle people, if you've got questions, you can send them to me. We'll put up the address on the screen for a moment. And you can send me your Bible questions. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 51 and 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. How plain can it get? We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to give a mighty shout. The trumpet is going to sound and Jesus is going to say to his sleeping saints, come out of there. Like Lazarus, they're going to come out of the tomb. So I believe as the Bible teaches that when a person dies, he doesn't go to hell and he doesn't go to heaven or else Jesus did a bad turn to Lazarus. Imagine you're in heaven and you're having a great time and Jesus says, come back down here. I, I don't believe that. I believe we sleep until the glorious day of the resurrection. Question three. Now, I, I've got to go faster. I'm sorry. Will God forgive you for having an abortion? Somebody asked this question. Will you go to heaven and spend eternity with God if you have had an abortion? I believe this. The Christian religion teaches love, compassion, and forgiveness. Come over here to Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 2. But apparently a lot of Christians don't understand what Christianity is all about. 
Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. You see, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going into a garage makes you a motor car. Look at Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. The biggest criticism of the legalists and the Pharisees was that Jesus loved people and he loved sinners. And so the great message of the Christian church is not this, that God is going to send you to hell. It's that Christ died for you and that God loves you. But so many people have been driven out of the Christian church because of the coldness of the Pharisees. You see, it's possible to be very wrong in being very right. Christianity is not about calling names and condemning people. It's supposed to be, if I read the Bible correctly, it's about love, compassion, and kindness. Look, come over here fast. I'm going, I've got to go faster. Come over here to John chapter 13 and verse 35, and I'll be answering more questions next week. Uh, John chapter 13 and verse 35, Jesus said, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And that includes the girl who has just got pregnant and the woman who's just had an abortion. In some countries, listen to this, including the United States of America. And I'm talking about a church in Los Angeles. A girl who gets pregnant is made to stand up the front of the church and confess her sins, but the man is never called. Hey, I had a young woman come to see me. She'd been disfellowshipped twice <laughs> in Los Angeles. She got disfellowshipped because she got pregnant and then the guy wanted to marry her, but because he didn't go to her church, when she married him, she got this fellowship the second time. We talk about this being Christianity. That's not the gospel of Christ. It's the gospel of somebody else. Let me talk about, and men are the ones who get off in this matter. In some countries, I've been to them. The girls are made to come down the front and confess before the whole church, especially the male elders, and go into the details. Is this the religion of Christ? No, it's the religion of somebody else. Let me talk a moment about abortion because I'm an old-time conservative. I believe that human beings are sacred being made in the image of God. The Bible tells me that God knew all about me before I was born. Come over here to Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. God says to Jeremiah the prophet, you have to go turn up the text real fast, folks. Come on. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Listen, before I was born, I was on God's mind. So I believe, I don't believe that which is conceived in the mother's womb can be merely called a fetus. Oh, the fetus is nothing. Doesn't really matter. That so-called fetus is a child of God. Now, I know I'm going to get everybody mad now. I'll get some of the liberals mad. 
and I'll get some of the conservatives mad. Today, it is believed by millions in America that humans are not better than the animals because of the teachings of the great Englishman, Charles Darwin, who was not a bad man. He wanted to become a minister. Did you know this? But if you take his teachings, particularly neo-Darwinism, to their logical conclusion, we all came from a common ancestor, and that was uh, some slimy thing in a primordial pool billions of years ago. And therefore, people who believe this stuff, which I believe is unscientific, believe that we are all related and we are animals the same as the dogs and the cats and the monkeys. Now, I don't believe this. I believe it's one of the biggest lies, one of the most unscientific lies. I believe it's a bunch of nonsense. Mm -hmm. I'll get plain as I go along. <laughs> I believe abortion on demand is morally wrong because of the sacredness of life. There is nothing more helpless than the unborn baby. And the unborn baby is worthy of our support and our protection. I also believe in grace and forgiveness. I want you to come over here to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. So I don't really like this business of getting after people and, and driving them out of the church and driving them out of families because people have got the Pharisee bug. First uh, John chapter 1, that's towards the end of the Bible. First John chapter 1 and uh, verse 9. First John chapter 1 and verse 9. Have I got the right text? Well, I'm going to go with the one on the screen. First John chapter 1 verse 9 says, look at the text, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's forgiveness for every sin. Every sin that we feel sorry about and every sin that we confess to God. You know the worst sin. Hey, am I going to get worked up now? You know what the worst sin is? Self-righteousness. The sin of people who go to churches and who despise others. What we need to do, my friend, is stop looking at other people and start looking at ourselves. And then we may be closer to God. And so I believe there's mercy and forgiveness for every sin. And to that lady who sent in that message, I want you to know that Jesus loves you and God loves you. And there's a place for you in the kingdom. What does it mean that there will be a time when man will live without a mediator? Here's the next question. What does it, this is believed by lots and lots of people. What does it mean that there will be a time when man will live without a mediator? Number one, let me say this. There will never, ever be a time when God forsakes his people. Hey, I've got to live by myself. No mediator, no help. No, there will never be a time when God forsakes his people. Come over here with me to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Hebrews 13 and verse 5. Look at this in the word of God. 
Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, what does it say? I'll never, never leave you. I'll never, ever forsake you. So, my friend, I want you to know this. With Jesus, you're never alone. You're never forgotten. You're never forsaken. So you'll never be yourself alone. No, no, I've got to do this. I've just got to get so righteous that I can... Hey, what you need to understand is the gospel. Never, ever be alone. There will come a time when Christ will cease his work as our high priest. The door of mercy will finally close. Like when God shut the door to the ark. The Bible talks about the last days and it compares them to the days of Noah. They were given an opportunity to get inside the ark. The ark represents Christ. The ark had a a hole in the side of it, like Christ did, with a spear. The ark represents Christ. People can get inside and the people inside were saved and God was with them. And the people outside could have got inside. But if you're inside the ark, my friend, you are not condemned. And they're inside the ark, not because they're they're good enough. They're inside the ark because God is good enough. I want you to get that into your head. Legalism says you've got to become good enough. The gospel says Christ is good enough for you. This is the word of the Lord. Come over here to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. Keep up with me, for he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you. And in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, uh, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Not after you're dead. So I can come to Christ now. And if I come to Christ now, and we shouldn't put it off because the person who plans to repent at the 11th hour dies at 2 minutes to 11. So the Bible says, come now. But you and I in Christ inside the ark will never, ever be alone. Can you help me? Question number five. Can you help me understand Daniel 11 and 12? In two minutes? I don't think so. Who is the king of the north? That's easy. That's the Antichrist. Also, can you explain the 1290 and the 13, 35 days of Daniel 12, 11, and 12? Let me give you some light on this. Daniel 11, verse 36, talks about the last manifestation of the Antichrist, who is also called the abomination of desolation. Uh, Daniel eleven thirty-six. then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. This is the great Antichrist. This is the person who is called in Scripture the King of the North. The King of the North is not Russia. The King of the North is not Canada. The king of the north is not the United States because they're in the northern hemisphere. The prophecies are largely symbolic. 
The king of the north refers to the great power of the old Babylonians as they would come down upon the north, upon the city of Jerusalem. In the New Testament setting, the king of the north is the final manifestation of the Antichrist. Look at Daniel 12 and verse 1. So he comes against the church. He comes against the people of God, symbolized by Jerusalem. Uh, Daniel 12 verse 1, At that time Michael Christ shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time, and at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book. The Bible tells me this. I've got to go faster. In the last days, the great Antichrist, the symbolic king of the north, comes against Jerusalem. He comes against the church. And when it appears as though God's people are going to be destroyed, Christ stands up for them. And there is a tremendous deliverance when Jesus comes back for his people. Now, these time periods, real fast. 1260 days, 1290 days, 1335 days, they are the time periods when the Antichrist rules. They have already been fulfilled in the Middle Ages, but they will be filled full. You get that? Jesus said, these things are written so that when it has come to pass, you will know that I am he. They have been partially fulfilled but they are yet to be filled to the very, very top. Now, we are answering Bible questions. These questions come to us from our studio audience. They also come to us from our vast audience around the world. And we'll be back very soon to answer more of your questions. Don't go away and God bless you forever. has got a time and a place for everything. Nothing happens by chance. In spite of the powers of darkness, nothing can destroy the church of God. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That the gospel is not about you and me. It is the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. What and where is heaven? This DVD series from John Carter will be yours with a gift of $50 US or $70 Australian. Write to us at the address on the screen. Visit carterreport.org, your home for inspirational teaching. God has blessed us all. Those blessings can be passed down to our families and to the family of Christ. A monetary gift from your estate can be given to support the tremendous work of the Carter Report. Your gift delivers hope to those waiting to hear the Word of God and changes lives all over the world. Vehicles of all kinds, boats, and property 
can be transformed to support the schools, orphanages, churches, and television programs of the Carter Report. If this is your wish, or if you have questions, please contact us. You can call the number on the screen or write to us. Thank you for making us a part of your legacy. For a copy of today's program, please contact us at P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Or in Australia, contact us at P.O. Box 861, Terrigal, New South Wales, 2260. This program is made possible through the generous support of viewers like you. We thank you for your continued support. May God richly bless you.